Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Any more liberation? Whoa! Hi everyone, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. You just heard Sally with Out of the Pan, and she's on before us every Sunday at midday, midday till one o'clock, and I'm joined by Davida. Hi everyone, hi listeners. Uh, We'd like to also acknowledge that we are on the country of the Wurundjeri people and to pay respects to their elders, past and present, and that that's where we do our work and where we live and that we should keep that in mind with everything that we do yep definitely yeah so today uh we're joined by a special guest um which is claire who i've known through activism for a few years how you going claire good thanks thanks for having me no worries really happy to have you claire thanks for joining our conversation today which is going to be on a very topical issue yeah. On the anti-vax sentiment in the vegan movement. Yes. So um, anti-vax and other similar pseudoscience conspiracies have been a part of vegan circles and animal liberation circles for a long time. So there is a bit of a crossover that we're hoping to dig a bit deeper into today. Uh, but before all that, yeah, Claire, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you became vegan or started getting into activism. Yep, sure. Um, so, yeah, my name's Claire. Um, I'm from a white um, settler background. Um, I'm speaking to you today from the lands of the Bunrung peoples of, of the Kulin Nation and would um, like to pay respects to elders past and present um, and extend that to um, the people on whose countries you're listening in from today. Um, I'm also speaking to you from um, a house um, in Footscray, um, which is where Uncle William Cooper of the Yorta Yorta Nation lived in the 1930s. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing history of the house. Um, and he launched um, a whole bunch of his activism and advocacy on behalf of his people um, from, from this house, um, but also... Um, in a in a protest that's become world famous, um, he launched um, the only private individual organised anti-Nazi rally in the 1930s following Kristallnacht. Um, so people marched oh. from this house in, in Footscray to the German embassy um, where they attempted to present a petition to the German ambassador protesting against the treatment of Jews um, in Nazi Germany um, because he could see a lot of um, parallels between what was happening in Nazi Germany and what was happening to his people on missions and reserves, um, which he called concentration camps, the yeah. equivalent of um, in the Australian context. Um, wow. So I just really want to pay honour to that history of, of this house and, and um, say that, that that legacy really informs the work that I do. Um, so I work at a place called the Indigenous Settler Relations Collaboration at the University of Melbourne. Um, and our mission is really to look at um, ways um, to transform um, the current Indigenous settler relations that exist um, in Australia. How long have you been living in that house? Um, so on and off. I mean, mum's been here since the late 90s. So, yeah, on and off for over 20 years. Um, mum has a lot to do with, um, Uncle Boydie, who's Uncle William Cooper's grandson. Um, and so, um, yeah, he comes to visit, obviously not during COVID, but, um, when possible, cause he actually, um, spent some time in this house when he was a young boy. Um, he lived with Uncle William and his wife, um, in this house. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a site of, of important significance for the Yorta Yorta 
um, people mm. and particularly Uncle William Cooper's family. Yeah. Wow. And is there are there signs outside the house or is it incorporated into cultural heritage? Or No, um, I, I think there's a cultural overlay on the house and, and it's certainly noted in... Um, in the local council's um, documentation about the house. Um, and also there's been a lot of work done by different organisations, um, including um, Victoria University, to draw people's attention to the history of, of the activism because Footscray was a, a really big um, hub of Indigenous activism in the 1930s. Wow. And did you know much of this before you started living there? No, we knew nothing. I'd never heard of, of William Cooper, um, which I think is a real indictment of the Australian education system. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we only heard about it from the people who mum bought the house from. They told us a little bit about the history and, and then we met um, Uncle William's family. And I also had the opportunity, I did an undergraduate um, degree in Indigenous Studies at the University of Melbourne and I had the opportunity to do a subject taught by um, the, sorry, not his grandfather, but his grandfather's brother um, was William Cooper. And so um, Uncle Wayne Atkinson um, taught an amazing subject called On Country Learning where we went up to Yorta Yorta Country for five days and had a really immersive education experience um, yeah, going to different sites and and um, speaking to different members of of the Yorta Yorta community, um, based in Shepparton and um and Etrica. Well, well, I can't say it. <laughs> I can't say it the Aussie way anymore because I found out from from Uncle Wayne that um Etrica is or Etrica is actually a Yorta Yorta word for meeting place. So oh, mm. I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah, mm. that's cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So yeah. And when um, when did you become a vegan, and what sparked that? Yeah. What sparked that change for you? So yeah, I don't remember the date. I I know a lot of people have like a vegan anniversary that they celebrate um, with, you know, eating lots of delicious <laughs> vegan food. <laughs> um, but I started volunteering for Sea Shepherd um, probably in the early. Oh, I can't remember exactly, but like in the about the 2010s or a bit later than that. Um, and through that was exposed to a whole bunch of conversations about the the impact of meat and the meat and dairy industry on the oceans. Um, and so from that, um, I started reducing my intake of, of meat and dairy. Um, but my big sticking point, which to me now seems really bizarre but was that I couldn't ha- I couldn't drink um coffee that didn't have cow milk in it um and then one day I was just like this is ridiculous this is the only thing that's stopping you from being vegan um you just need to change and so I changed um yeah yeah I started drinking oat milk in my coffee and and from that point on um I was vegan so I've been vegan for about six or seven years now but it was um a gradual shift of really reducing meat and dairy um I'd been a vegetarian a long time earlier sort of in my teens and I was one of those terrible vegetarians that didn't like vegetables and so I basically subsisted on nachos for a long time um but yeah I found with the big cultural shifts that there's been um recently around um veganism and and plant-based foods that it was a lot easier to become vegan and there were so many um options out there that once I eliminated meat and dairy from my diet I didn't I felt I didn't miss anything um yeah, yeah, so it was it was easy. But, yeah, it was really learning the environmental impact of the meat and dairy industry was a really important um, shift in consciousness for me. Was that before Cowspiracy was released or after? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, sometimes I find it difficult to engage with documentaries that I know that I should watch um, because... <laughs> Um, yeah, because it's good for my brain. Um, and then, yeah, and then also kind of avoiding, because I think a lot of um, vegan stuff can be incredibly actually traumatising. Um, mm. You know, some of the, like, earthling documentaries and so forth. And then, yeah, and so I 
avoided Cowspiracy, watching Cowspiracy for a long time, but I actually watched it with some students a couple of years ago and, and that was the first time I'd seen it. But, um, oh, yeah, we okay. certainly quoted a lot of, of stats drawn from Cowspiracy in, in Sea Shepherd materials about the impact of the meat and dairy industry on the oceans. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was – I remember for me it was a big thing as well. I think, yeah, Cowspiracy just seemed to spawn a lot of environmental arguments for people to go vegan around that time and it just became a much more common thing to hear people talking about the environmental reasons to go vegan. And, I, I mean, when I was volunteering for Sea Shepherd, we had – was when the Antarctic campaigns were happening. So sometimes we had um, three or four ships in, in port um, down in Williamstown and so I would go and um, – you know, do the onshore volunteer stuff of running tours on different ships and, and merch stalls and so forth. But also um, we would often get invited to eat with the crew and so being exposed to really incredible vegan food because by that stage all the Sea Shepherd ships were vegan. So being yeah. exposed to this incredible vegan food, um, yeah, it was just such a shift in my consciousness. Um. Has there been other activism outside of the animal advocacy movement um, where uh, in which you've been active? Yeah, I mean, the first rally I went on, I think I was like five years old. Um, so my mum no used to take me and my sister <laughs> to the Palm Sunday peace rallies. Um, oh. So, yeah, the, the anti-nuclear, um, anti-war movement in, in Australia in, in the 1980s would hold annual um, Palm Sunday rallies. But, yeah, that kind of sort of shaped, I guess, my worldview from then. So I, I got involved in, in anti-Iraq war stuff um, in, I guess, that would have been maybe the 2001 um, the, oh, 1991 actually was the invasion of Iraq that I um, first became active around. So I went to a lot of the rallies and so forth. And then from there got involved in um, different environmental activism, um, was involved in things like um, the campaign to stop um, the school closures that Jeff Kennett brought in in the, in the, um, in the late 90s, so the Richmond Secondary College. Um, I mm. went to Jabaluka um, to oh, protest wow. against the uranium mine in there in 1998 um, and was arrested with 142 other people, which at the time was like this record for um, <laughs> a mass arrest. And then the following day, like 20 more people got arrested and <laughs> broke our record oh. and we were really... Um, <laughs> sad about that, but yeah, it was part of all the all the mass arrests that happened in um the June July period, um during the dry season up there. I was involved in the um MUA um disputes. So I was part of um food food not bombs had a kitchen that ran down at the MUA um camp that ran twenty four hours and provided um vegetarian food, um from food that would otherwise be food waste. Um, so we mm -hmm. were called Food Not Scabs while we were down at the MUA <laughs> um, protests. And, and, yeah, and so I was part of, of the um, the collective that kept that kitchen going 24-7. Um, yeah, and then just since then have just been involved in a lot of rallies around issues like Palestine, um, yeah, climate change um, and so forth, yeah. So I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think that probably captures most stuff. Um, yeah, and, and was an onshore volunteer for with Sea Shepherd for about seven years. Yeah, so that's an insane repertoire of activism, and it's <laughs> it's it's really cool that to to hear the stories of vegans outside of only animal issues um, are also very active in other movements. Well, yeah, I was going to say it seems like um, you sort of did the opposite of what maybe a lot of current activists did, and you were doing everything else before you incorporated the animal advocacy into your activism and that came later um were there any issues or did that cause any problems or did you notice did that like affect your involvement in other activism once you became vegan or yeah i mean i i find it um because i guess i have a really what what a lot of people term like a consistent anti-oppression analysis now is that how can you mm. be against 
um, you know, all the, the isms, the exploitative racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc., and not recognise um, that animal oppression is that, you know, none of us are free until all of us are free. Um, mm. And that animals, I mean, I'm just spitting out cliches here, but animals are here as with us as, as kin rather than for us as, as you know, um, objects to be exploited. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it um, interesting to have conversations with people who, um, yeah, are kind of quite blocked in that. I think there's a mm. lot of anti-veganism on the basis of, of, of people being like, you know, d- dismissive sort of, you know, stuff around people being hippies and blah, 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 and lifestyle activists and all that kind of mm. stuff that comes from the more traditional left. Um, yeah, and then with the, <laughs> yeah, with vegans, I, I also find it hard to sometimes find a common ground because of that consistent anti-oppression goes the other way too, right? You're not just talking yeah, about exactly. animals, you're talking about human oppression and so... You know, I saw have seen a lot of racism and sexism, homophobia, transphobia, etc., in the mainstream vegan movement um, mm. as well. So yeah, it's it's you find, feel like there's very few people to talk to <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's also you know the vegan movement isn't perfect. You know, we have to sort of keep an eye out for um, yeah the 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 practices that are happening within our movement. And that's also why we invited you for this talk today. Um, when we talk about another problem, a problematic issue in veganism is the anti-vax sentiment. Yeah, that's not only related to COVID alone, you know, there's, there's, it has a long history already, anti-vax sentiment. But I think before that, we might take a break and yeah. have a song. So, um, Claire, what's the first song you've chosen for us today? Okay, so the first song is called um, Naba Norum, which means the reef song, and it's by a duo called Busby Maru, which um, has one Torres Strait Islander um, member of, of, of the duo. It's really beautiful.
Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Luciano and Georgia Keats, supported by the Australian Queer Archive, present Queer Ways, retracing Melbourne's queer footprint. Queer Ways is a community art project that maps the queer history of Melbourne, combining our community's stories and voices, past and present, into a permanent, interactive record of being queer in Melbourne. Visit www.queerways.melbourne now to record your story in queer history and explore our city's untold history. Queer Ways, a 3CR supporter. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard the song Naba Norem by Busby Maru. And I hope I pronounced that right. <laughs> um, we're here with Claire talking about the anti-vax movement in um, anti-vax sentiment in the vegan vegan community and to first say our position is please get vaccinated definitely let's make that clear from the start (laughs) there are some developments in the vegan movement that makes it quite prone to anti-vax and even conspiracy theories Mm. and one of those things is the pseudoscience yeah in the vegan movement so there's a big big emphasis in the vegan movement on the health that we can acquire by following a vegan movement, even though the science is not is not really supporting that um, claim. And one of those things are some problematic documentaries that have come out, such as the um, Forks Over Knives or What the Health documentaries. Mm. Yeah. So, what were some of the uh, what were some of the problems with those documentaries? Well, I think it's better to refer people to, um, I know Ginny Messina, she's a well-respected um, dietitian, registered dietitian, and she did a debunking of What the Health, as well as referenced a couple of other people who had debunked some of the um, exaggerated claims and cherry-picked claims. Um, it doesn't mean everything's wrong, um, but I think the, the golden rule to remember is that you can be as healthy as you want on a vegan diet, you can be as unhealthy as you want on a vegan diet, and you can also be as healthy or unhealthy as you want on a non-vegan diet. Um, I think people, even with um, like Game Changers, the documentary that came out, um, showing how these vegans can perform at exceptional levels as elite athletes, but they're they're competing with people who are non-vegan, and they're non-vegans that have world records too, and there are non-vegans that are winning gold medals and doing that. And I think people fail to see that that it's just because they're not vegan or if they're if they're eating something that's not vegan, it doesn't mean it's poison. It doesn't mean that it's going to be absolutely detrimental to your body. As much as that would be great if that were true for our own mm, cause. That's it. You know, and that's, I think that's yeah. what drives it is people want it to be true because that would make it so much easier to advocate for animals. But 
that's just denying reality and it's denying science that unfortunately we can be healthy if we're eating moderate amounts of animal products. Mm, I don't advocate for people to do that because you can also be as healthy as you want on a vegan diet. So choose that diet instead. Yeah. Um, That's my takeaway from it anyway. But I think that that makes it, it makes it very understandable why these sort of views can perpetuate and exist in the movement. I think part of that is um, the kind of idea that any road to veganism is okay and and anything Mm. we can convince people with is okay. Like it doesn't need to be, um, you know, based on a solid kind of um, analysis of of the way that capitalism and colonialism um, function um, and impact people's um, diets and and also obviously massively impact on, on the lives of of um animals so yeah i think if you if you see veganism as as a diet um or a lifestyle rather than it actually a politics um mm. it, it can be really problematic i mean i yeah. I, I really love the work of, of the vegan vanguard podcast and i remember listening to one of their early episodes yeah, and, and they talked about how you know if you're really absolutist and you treat veganism like a diet and you know and you punish yourself for having like falling off the wagon and having these cheat days and so forth um you it be it just becomes a really dysfunctional relationship with food um and and um yeah and not really engaging with kind of the deeper underlying philosophy that drives a lot of of people to veganism that that comes from that consistent anti-oppression analysis yeah definitely yeah. And it's not only, and so there's a pseudoscience around health, but it also invites other problematic assumptions in, in the movements that are mm. related to health, but also have less, less scientific um It's support. like a gateway. It's a gateway, <laughs> gateway to the gateway theory. Yeah. Conspiracy thinking. Yeah. And, yeah. and also gatekeeping, right? Like you can't possibly have fat vegans or disabled vegans or unhealthy mm. vegans because, you know, that's, that doesn't really fit with kind of this evangelical wellness approach that a lot of people take. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a cure all, apparently. You know, if whatever's wrong, or well, I use wrong in inverted commas, but. You can't see it on the radio, but whatever's wrong with you, you know, whatever health or whatever issue that you might have can be fixed just by eating a whole food plant-based diet. It's it's just completely false um, and it's dangerous to perpetuate that because, as you said, it just makes people feel unwelcome then in the community. And it's victim blaming as well. So, you know, I'm yeah. disabled. I have a number of chronic illnesses. And, you know, if you tell me that it's related to, you know, my diet or something that I've done wrong, I think <laughs> that obviously makes me feel really unsafe in, in certain spaces. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we've got this gate gatekeeping and gateway theories in the vegan movement. Um, there's, some, there's some crazy stuff um, about field, like what is that fluoride in water? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, other other weird theories that are going on that are affecting our health. Yeah, there's no shortage of the. Um, I guess it's it's termed woo in in science communities, um, and it sort of falls in line with pseudoscience. It's this, um, yeah, people just wanting to believe that there are easy fixes or easy cure-alls um, to, to different problems and then believing that whatever is natural is the best and whatever is, um, they call it an appeal to nature fallacy, um, not, not the conspiracy thinkers, but people who are debunking them. It's an appeal to nature fallacy that just because something is unnatural means it's bad. Um, like obviously they'll look at things like pesticides and then GMOs and they will just think that all these things have to be inherently bad because they're not natural. Um, same with fluoride in the water, I- even though these things are actually natural, like the fluoride does occur naturally in water and, you know, GMO is just speeding up the natural process of cross-species breeding of different plants. Um, like all these things are natural, they're just assisted by human advancements and technology in these areas. Um but, but that's part of the thinking is that it's um, people believing that it becomes an anti-science view and an anti-science, I guess, ideology that um, whatever science is doing is looking at something that's unnatural and that that's going to be inherently bad for us because it's unnatural and we have to get back to this natural state. 
Um, Say natural one more time. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but it's 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 tied to this whole conspiracy theory of big pharma, right? Yeah. The the idea that you know a collusion of huge power, which uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, are putting out misinformation, are keeping us sick on purpose. And um, what people, some people believe is that the answer is then to eat a, a vegan, whole food, plant-based diet with which you can stay healthy, which um, is just not true. Yeah. So it's, it's a slide into this conspiracy thinking as well. So we've got from pseudoscience sliding into conspiracy thinking that are uh, major red flags that we have to keep an eye out. And I guess our main point with this is that these aren't, like these views are extreme, but they're not extreme minority views in the communities that we're talking about. So if you're in activist communities, if you're in vegan communities, animal liberation communities or organizations, these things will be very commonplace. Um, not just the, the, the speaking of these ideologies or, or just, you know, casually mentioning them but practicing them and encouraging others to do it there will it, it's very very common so if there's any listeners out there that that doubt that i guess we're 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 hoping that you can have a look um have a deeper look at these communities maybe look and see if some of these um either comments online or comments in zoom calls or whatever you might see um people's blog posts people's youtube channels you'll see mentions to these sorts of things by even some very prominent people in the movement. Um, and I guess it's just to be aware of what that's feeding into, that that's feeding into this. It's making the movement a very fertile ground for conspiracy thinking and conspiracy ideology. And it means that then when a pandemic hits, like COVID, um, I think that those communities get hit a bit harder by this conspiracy ideology, which is what's happened. And it's kind of ironic because I think there's there's an attempt in activist communities to encourage people to think critically. Um, and so I've seen people posting like anti-lockdown, anti-vax stuff that's, that's just like, well, I'm thinking critically because the government's telling me to do something. And so my my default should be always to think that the government or, or big pharma are evil. And, and yes, I mean, as an anti-capitalist, I strongly agree that, that um, you know, that a capitalist state and, and, and a capitalist um, pharmaceutical industry don't have our best interests at heart. But I think that um, thinking critically means being able to sift through information mm. and not just throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater, you know. And not exactly. just believing something because it's the opposite of what government or establishment is saying. Yeah, it's um, n- it's not like it's not critical thinking to just be always oppositional. Exactly. Um, and also a lot of it is incredibly individualistic. You know, it's all about I don't want to to partake in public health measures because it's, it's against my freedoms. Mm. I mean, I think it might be worth mentioning... Um, that a lot of the the stuff around the, well, I mean, it's, it continues, but like a lot of the early um, conversations that were happening were quite racist as well. And there's a real history in um, vegan circles of, of um, racism and specifically really anti-Chinese racism. Um, and so the kind of, um, yes. you know, I saw a lot of stuff in vegan groups early on about that's what happens when you eat bats and, you know, like, yeah, Chinese people kind of deserve it because of their disgusting um, wet markets and and um, what what they eat. So, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yes. Um, but speaking of race and ethnicity, we also have seen that some of the more recent, um, I guess, extended um, conclusions from some of the conspiracy theory, theories is leading to tying it into a Jewish cabal and yeah. tying it into those those typical um, conspiracies. Yeah, I think you're you're touching here upon a really important point. Um, but should we um, should we go to a second song? Have another song break. What's your second song, Claire? Um, so this, the, it's a track called The Virus um, by The Hallucination. So The Hallucination um, is a duo of um, two um, First Nations um, DJs from what, what is now called Canada. And I think the tracking really encourages people to think critically about 
what are considered to be viruses um, and the impact that colonialism and introduced disease has had on Indigenous communities. You know, a lot of discourse around mm. around COVID is that we're living in exceptional times and, and Indigenous um, scholars and thinkers and activists are really encouraging us to recognise that there's actually historical antecedents to this, um, including, you know, the mass destruction that was wrought on Indigenous communities around the world at times of, of first contact when disease was introduced in, in the Australian context quite deliberately as, as a weapon of, of war, of colonial war. The people... from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are going to die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us. I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on. To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again. So please, 
get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated. For all of us. Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector. A 3CR supporter. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. So welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard the virus by hallucination. We're here with Claire. And Claire, you mentioned a really important thing about the anti-vax sentiment being such an indiv- individualistic mindedness. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a sad reflection of, of the impact of, of neoliberalism on the society at large. Um, but I, you know, it, it feels even sadder to see it playing out in like activist communities and people being really... Um, really focused on, on this idea of personal freedom and personal choice and not really conscious of, of the impact that individuals can have in a public health setting. So, you know, for me, I was really, really sick about three years ago. I was hospitalised with an autoimmune disease um, and since then I've been on immune suppressant treatments. Um, so that makes me really susceptible to a whole range of infections and and viruses and so forth. Um, And it also means that I can't actually have certain um, vaccines. So if a vaccine is live, I can't have it. Um, Mm. it, Luckily, the COVID vaccine wasn't live, so I've had that. Um, And my doctor, as soon as I was, you know, started this treatment, my doctor was really... um, firm in, in getting me every vaccine that I can have. But, um, you know, there's there's horrible instances of people um, like me with who are immune suppressed um, picking up really common diseases that have almost entirely been eradicated. Um, but if individuals choose not to be vaccinated for something like measles and sit in the same hospital chair as me, um, there was actually a case of, of, of a person who died um, in Australia from picking up mm. measles from sitting in a, in a hospital chair. Um, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I've just become really conscious of the fact that herd immunity is really, really important um, mm. and it's what means that disabled and immune-compromised um, people really count on in order to be able to um, be part of, of the community. You know, I've I've pretty much been sheltering in place for nearly two years now. Um, I've, I go out maybe once a fortnight to do shopping, wearing two masks, um, and so forth. Um, and while I was excited to get the COVID vaccine, um, the, the recent studies that have been released with people, um, who are immune compromised, it's shown that the vaccine's actually not that effective, um, for us. So what we are really counting on is everybody else in the community getting vaccinated so that the disease can be eradicated, well, yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Mm. Um, But, yeah, I think, um, you know, when people talk about not wanting to be vaccinated because of, like, vegan principles, animal testing and so forth, I mean, that's that's a really narrow view of the way Mm. in which public health functions. Yeah, definitely. I think it's worth saying that, you know, veganism is as far as is practicable and possible um, and it doesn't mean excluding absolutely everything at the detriment to everyone's health. Um, there's no point being vegan if you can't live, um, if you've got that definition of vegan anyway, which is not the definition that's used by most organisations or by the vegan society. Um, and they've, they've said that it's fine for people to be vaccinated with the COVID vaccine 
Um, I know Dr. Ash, a local um, activist and advocate in our community, she's did a really good post. If people want to look up, um, you know, what what other experts are saying about um, getting the COVID vaccine if you're vegan, that it's not it's not it doesn't have to be a clash of your ideology, and it doesn't have to be um, something that you have to to feel uncomfortable about. Um, there, there's unfortunately we live in a non-vegan world. And there's going to be non-vegan choices that we're forced to make all the time. Um, they can be as simple and mundane as having to sit down on cow skin furniture when you're on public transport or in a in a taxi, or they can be as serious as having to take a vaccine um, that was unfortunately tested on animals. Um, not taking the vaccine isn't going to stop it getting tested on animals, but we can still advocate for them to stop testing on animals for future medications and vaccines. Um, I think that's more important than boycotting a vaccine. Yeah. Much more important. I mean, I and think. How, um, yeah. I was, what I was going to say was, um, I just think that the, it's such a reflection of of really um, deeply entrenched ableist and and um, essentially eugenicist views of of disabled people. Um, and immune compromised people, um, you know, if, if the sense is I'll be fine if I catch COVID, um, you know, that it's just the flu or whatever. I mean, we see this every day with the reporting of, of the deaths in New South Wales. There's always, um, you know, a mention of the fact that people who died had underlying health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, <laughs> you know, that's like... That's literally what they would say about me is essentially mm. I deserve to die because I had underlying health conditions and therefore my death is not a tragedy um, to society because, you know, yeah, I mean, that's how eugenicists work, right? Is It's yeah. this, this warped idea of, of how evolution functions and, and the idea of like the survival of the fittest and, and therefore disabled um, people should just be eliminated from society in order to to create like superhumans. Um, so yeah, I think that that getting vaccinated is actually a, an act of solidarity um, with other Definitely. with disabled um, people. Um, yeah, and and it makes ve- I'm really nervous now to go. Like I used to love going to things like um, World Vegan Day and stuff, and I just think. I mean, obviously, it's not going to happen this year in Melbourne with Delta mm. and, and so forth. But I just wonder if I'll ever ever be sa- feel safe going back to um something like that or or anything you know anything organised um by different vegan organisations. Yeah, I mean, well, saying that actually, like, I hope it's okay with you, but I'd like to if we could share a story of what happened before COVID. Um, so Claire and myself um, were in an organisation. We're not going to name them because I think it's prevalent, as I said, with most vegan communities. But um, this was in 2019 and um, we were – so Claire was interested in coming to some of the in-person meetings and before that happened, um, we had a one of the meetings before Claire was going to attend, we brought up the issue that Claire is on her current treatment um, program of treatment and that meant that she was going to be um, immunosuppressed I think is that her immune system was going to be weakened and suppressed so Claire asked if we could find out who was vaccinated for the flu and also for measles I think it was yeah was that yeah, yeah. Me- I was particularly obsessed with measles because of the story that I read about it yeah, yeah. and so um, I brought it up at the meeting and Everyone in the meeting pretty much just shut down and there was only one person at the meeting that had been vaccinated for the flu that season. Um, And I tried to have a discussion about this. I said, um, would people be open to getting vaccinated so that people like Claire can come to the meetings and, and feel safer? And people were just shaking their head at me, didn't even want to start a discussion, didn't even want to engage a discussion um and i said well i think this is really important we should talk about this and people said they they completely object to getting vaccinated they're not going to do it um and they don't want to talk about it they refuse to talk about that was the only reason they even said and then they just said we want to move on we want to move on and i was not allowed to discuss it any further and i had to tell claire well yeah i mean well how did you feel about that claire like when i told you that 
that that was the result? I mean, I think for me, there are there are steps that I can take um, to to protect myself. So I I get um, two flu vaccines every season um, because my with my compromised immune system. Um, and the medication I'm on, um, that it doesn't last for very long. The effectiveness doesn't last for very long. Um, and basically, um, my doctor told me to just stop catching public transport. Um, and if I ever did have to, um, to wear a mask. Um, so I, I had purchased, um, a mask, um, prior to, to COVID, um, and had been wearing that on, on, um, yeah, on public transport. So, you know, I, I guess I, yeah. I mean, I think as as I said before, it just really reflects um, this deep individualism and this deep, um, you know, ableist kind of thinking. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. And I was really, I could see that as being such a huge barrier to participation. Yeah. Um, and people. I mean, we talk about that all the time. How can we get more people to be active? How can we get more people to advocate for animals? And then something like that happens. As you say, it's all about this individualistic um, concern and no no regard to community. And this was going to be an issue that they wouldn't discuss, wouldn't budge on, and that would cause someone to not be involved in their organisation. Yeah, I mean, I feel really confronted by, say, things like, um, you know, what's happening in New South Wales at the moment and nationally as well and, and now in Victoria with the abandonment of COVID-0 yeah. um, because the reality for people like me is that then we just actually have to become complete shut, shut-ins and that, yeah. you know, once lockdowns are lifted... You know, it, it was the case earlier when we were going for COVID zero that there were times that I felt like I could participate a bit, that I could go to rallies, that I could, um, you know, I've, I've been to one activist meeting in the last two years and it was an absolute joy <laughs> to be there. Um, you know, there's conferences that I'd, I'd love to go to, but the reality mm-hmm. is, is, is if people are not vaccinated and if we're not going with a COVID vaccine, uh, COVID's, for a COVID zero policy, then people like me will be locked in our houses. And at the moment, it feels really indefinite. I mean, I think that's yeah. catastrophizing and I'm really hoping that, that I can get access to like booster shots that other mm-hmm. immune compromised people have had. But this is the reality that I think that able-bodied, healthy um, people are not really thinking about when they're when they're refusing to to do things like get getting vaccinated is that it has a massive impact and it just consigns some of us to to being not able to participate in society anymore I can't teach anymore I, you know I'm a university tutor I love face-to-face classes um i'm teaching on zoom this semester but depending on what the university wants i may not be able to ever teach again um Mm. and that's something that's really hard to to think about yeah and i just want to reiterate that um for people who after hearing that are thinking oh that's just the result of a pandemic the story that we gave was from 2019 so it's not um it's been happening for decades in our movement it's been the ableism that's been sort of under the surface and even just in the um, in the unconscious of people's minds because this group was vocally like anti-ableist. They were, they were trying to advocate for disabled people, but at the same time they had this view. So I think that, yeah, we really need to do better if we want an inclusive movement and inclusive spaces for, for the, our animal advocacy. Um, we're doing a really, a really poor job and we have to, we have to improve. And unfortunately, the really the foundations of modern medicine are based on on horrific things that happen to animals. Um, but I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for modern medicine. You know, I would have died of of one of my various <laughs> health conditions. Um, and I think that you know a movement that is aiming to be inclusive can't make people feel bad about things that we literally have no choice over like of course we want to change um the animal exploitation and cruelty that happens um in in the medical fields but you know in the here and now we don't have any choice in terms of of our day-to-day survival yeah well i'm really glad that you joined us today claire it's been great having you on um 
yeah, it was a really good discussion. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a great discussion. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Freedom of Species. Yeah, it was a, a big episode, a lot to get through. If you'd like to listen to the show again or any previous show, go to the podcast archive at the 3CR website. That is 3cr.org.au slash freedom of species. And you can also find most of our shows on podcast apps such as iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn. Freedom of Species will be back next week when Adam and I will be joined by Dr. Kate Hall to discuss xenotransplantation and her writing. So please get in touch with us if you want to share your thoughts about our show. Um, you can email us at freedomofspecies at gmail.com or contact us on any of the social media accounts like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Also, if you enjoy the show, please consider subscribing through to the 3CR station or making a donation to support community-powered radio. You can read more about this on the 3CR website. And thank you to everyone who did subscribe during the Radiothon. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing that show. Yep. And um, yeah, it was good to see a lot of donations coming in. Yeah. Also, we are still running a survey because we'd love to hear your input for our show and we'll put the link to that in the show description. So coming up next is the music show Rotations, where each week different 3CR presenters play you some of their favorites. To finish up, we're going to end with a song by local vegan Steph Bitter with her track Twisted Places. Thousands of twisted places Tied up and knotted out Those messed up kids at home Crying in their room alone Part of me is missing Insufficient understanding Find out what was taken Misplaced in recklessness Scarlet beads Brent liquefied agony Illustration Affliction to insert I don't think this is pretend This feels too real to dismiss I think I'm going crazy Help me, I'm missing
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.